Good evening. Good to see you all here again tonight. Uh, as you see on our screen, we're going to be embarking on our Gospel of Mark series. So I invite you and encourage you to take out your Bible with me and follow along. We're, we are going to be in Mark chapter 6 tonight. Mark chapter 6. Remember last time, last week, we looked at the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. We looked at uh, Jesus entering his hometown of Nazareth. He enters their, their synagogue on the Sabbath day. He speaks to them. Uh, they see him. They see his uh, power. They see his authority that God has given to him. And they see his compassion. And they're, they are astonished the text says, at this man, Jesus, that they knew from childhood, that they knew growing up as a teenager, as a young adult. They're astonished at who he is, but yet all the while they persist in unbelief. That's what we talked about last time. We talked about the power that unbelief has over one that uh, embraces it. An unbelief, remember, is... When one sees this Jesus, his power and authority and compassion, and you notice I've repeated those, uh, those, those three things over and over again because those are major themes within the Gospel of Mark. Mark wants you to see this Jesus and his power and his authority and his compassion. And unbelief is when one sees this, his power and authority and compassion, and says in their heart, I still don't trust who you claim to be. Unbelief is powerful. Unbelief blocks out that which is obvious. Unbelief makes silly excuses. Unbelief leads to, it produces an apathetic kind of response to God. A, 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 a disposition that doesn't uh, have interest, that has no passion, that has no zeal. And unbelief, as we saw last time, it smothers the supernatural. It brings the work of God to a screeching, grinding halt. And this is what we see from the people of Nazareth in Jesus' hometown. But it's not only Jesus' opponents or those that are loosely associated with him that persist in unbelief. That's what we're going to look at tonight those closest to Jesus, his inner circle of followers, those that are closest to Jesus in relationship during his ministry, they also have a difficult time seeing and trusting this Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, the one sent from God. His own disciples, they see him even more closely than, than his opponents and the people of Nazareth. They, they see his power and his authority and his compassion, but instead of fully trusting and fully surrendering, they allow their hearts to be hardened with unbelief. Jesus' disciples, we haven't talked much about them within this series. They're very important characters within the, within the narrative. Uh, Jesus is training them, these 12 men, uh, so that they may carry on his mission after his death, burial, and resurrection, so that they may go out into all the world and preach this gospel of the kingdom. Very important, especially in Acts and the epistles. But tonight, 
We're going to talk about three stories that have to do with Jesus' disciples that are all tied together, which carry on this theme of unbelief, the power of unbelief that we saw last time in the first six verses of the Gospel of Mark. But what we're going to see here uh, in our text this evening is the power of unbelief. It's magnified to an even greater degree, which reaches those that are closest to the Messiah Jesus. These stories When viewed together, these three instances that we're going to dive into tonight, they're intended to make us say, is there any hope? Is there any hope for the human heart? Is is the human heart so blind that it sees this Jesus in his fullness and his power and his authority and compassion and still it persists in unbelief? Is there any hope? whatsoever. That's the reaction that these stories, I believe, are intended to instill within us. But at the same time, they're also intended for us to see the character of this Jesus, to see the kind of God-man that He is even more clearly. Even amidst the power of unbelief, He stays with His people. He works so that they may see Him and submit to Him and become like little children in relation to Him. So let's dive in together tonight. Look at these three stories. Number one, we're going to look at when Jesus sends out the twelve, starting in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. It's going to be the first story that we look at tonight. So look down with me there, if you will, verse 7 of Mark chapter 6. Six. Now, this story of the sending out of the twelve, it's often called one of Jesus' limited commissions that Jesus gives his disciples. He is sending them out. He is sending them out two by two to preach this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and invite the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, we see that that's specified in Matthew's account of this. Matthew records that. Uh, they're sent out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, sent out to preach the gospel and exhort people to repent and enter this kingdom that Jesus has brought into the world and is establishing. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, he would give them the great commission. This is a limited commission sent to a limited group of people, but right now, uh, or, 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 rather, or rather in the future, the great commission he's going to give his uh, disciples to go out into all the world, into all the creation. And that's what we see in, at the very end of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16. So let's look in verse 7 together and read verses 7 through 13, this first story. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out 
and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Jesus here, he sends out the twelve two by two so that they may preach the good news, the good news of the kingdom. Uh, and, and he sends them out two by two. Uh, commentators speculate uh, different uh, theories. It, it could be for mutual encouragement. It's better if you have a ministry partner. I know uh, whenever I do evangelism and Bible studies, I would much rather have a partner with me um, and, and that, that we endeavor in that um, together. So that's a possibility of why Jesus sends them out two by two. Uh, so the apostles here, they become more than just trainees. Uh, they become more than just students of Jesus. They're, they're, now, they've, they're now becoming extensions of Jesus' own ministry. Uh, the, the, this limited commission that he's giving to his disciples, it gave them an opportunity to share what they had learned from Jesus over the course of his ministry and an opportunity for them to become channels of his mercy, channels of his authority and power and, and compassion um, as they heal the sick and cast out demons and receive divine authority to preach this message of the kingdom. So they become more than just Jesus' students, but actually a part, an extension of Jesus' ministry himself. Uh, and, and Jesus, uh, the the, the the point uh, within within this, Jesus, Jesus wants them to learn to trust. He wants them to learn uh, he wants to teach them a lesson in trust by taking such a minimal load. Uh, as we just read before, Jesus tells them to take, uh, to take no money, take no food, uh, minimal clothing with you, take a very light load. Now that's intended to teach them dependency upon God. Jesus wants them to deepen their dependence on Him. And He's essentially saying, I want you to embark on this mission purely relying on on faith in God to take you where you need to go, to take care of your needs, to sustain you, to give you shelter, and to protect you. So they do. They obey Jesus. They do all this. They go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, preaching and teaching the gospel, healing those that are sick, casting out demons, fully rely, relying upon God and His power and His work to sustain them and to take care of them and to give them uh, this kind of divine authority in, in their ministry. And when they return, there's this sense of excitement uh, that we see uh, when all, all the twelve, they come back to Jesus and they are extremely excited about how things went. Now, I want to skip over several verses, uh, and we'll, we'll get back to what we skip over. Uh, if you've noticed in the Gospel of Mark, Mark likes sandwiches. He likes to begin an idea and then, uh, and, and with an intermission, do a, another idea and then pick up with that same theme uh, several verses later. Um, and that's what we see in that story about John the Baptist and his death. Uh, you see that long block of text right there. That's kind of like an intermission in the story that we're embarking on. So we're going to skip that just for tonight and Lord willing come back to that. Um, but we're going to follow the train of thought um, that we began in verse 7. So skip down with me to verse 30 of chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. This is when the disciples return to Jesus after this um, limited commission that they've been sent out on. Verse 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So when they return, they immediately tell Jesus about everything that they did and how the ministry went. They, and, and there's this sense of excitement. There's this sense of, of, of joy. Uh, they essentially say, you know, look at what we were able to do with this authority that you gave us, Jesus. We were able to actually cast these demonic forces out. We were actually able to heal these sick people and preach with the same kind of divine authority that you yourself preach. They're on fire at this point. They're overjoyed. They've passed the test of trust, and they've done so many mighty things in Jesus' name. But the next story that we see, story number two, and in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, uh, it reveals that their faith isn't as rock solid as they think that it is. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 32. Mark chapter 6, verse 32. Story number 2. Mark chapter 6, verse 32 through 34 says this, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So by this time, Jesus in, in his ministry had grown tremendously in fame. Uh, of course, by sending out the twelve in many different towns uh, within, uh, with, within the region, uh, Jesus' fame is starting to grow. People know about this guy that can cast out demons and heal the sick and preach with this divine kind of authority. Everyone had heard about this Jesus and his followers, how, how, how powerful uh, he, he was and how much authority that he has uh, from God. Uh, so when uh, he, he is spotted, uh, people flock to him. They say, there's that Jesus. There he is. And immediately he's rushed with this giant crowd of people. They ran to him. They ran to him on, on foot just to see him and, and see his healing power. And maybe just like one woman earlier in the text touched just the fringe of his garment so that they too may experience the same kind of healing that they've heard about and they've, and they've seen in their friends and neighbors. And this crowd begins to form because they see this Jesus and they want to know more about him. They've heard the rumors. They've heard uh, the talk and, and everything that's gone, uh, that, that's gone on. Dozens and hundreds. And then as the text says, thousands of people begin to gather around this Jesus and they come to learn from him. They come to see what he's all about and to sit at his feet. And when Jesus sees them, notice in the text, it doesn't say that he's annoyed. It doesn't say that he's irritated, even though previously uh, the text says that he and his disciples were exhausted. Uh, they needed rest. They went out to a desolate place so that they could receive rest. Um, he's probably, in many cases, he was exhausted and, 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 and needed, this, uh, needed this rest. Um, but uh, even though he was um, overcome uh, with, with, uh, with those kind of needs, uh, he's not, you don't see Jesus being irritated 
at all of these people flocking to him. You don't, you don't see him being annoyed at all if these, if these large crowds wanting to know more about him and who he is and what he's all about. He has compassion on them, not irritation, not annoyance, but he has compassion. He can feel, and this is the implication of the Greek word, he can, it's almost as if he can feel his insides move as this emotional response to their condition, to the people's condition, because they were helpless. They were like sheep without anyone protecting them, without anyone guiding them. In other places in the New Testament, the religious leaders are said, uh, those who are supposed to be leading the people, like shepherds lead a flock of sheep, the religious, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, uh, they would bind laws on them that they couldn't possibly keep, and they had no real compassion for these people. These people had no real shepherd that was looking after them, that was guiding them, that was teaching them properly. But this Jesus that we see, that's presented to us in this passage, this Jesus, he's different. He's different from all those religious leaders that they have. He's different. He's moved at the sight of the weak. He's moved at helpless sinners, and, and, and He gently teaches them. He expounds upon the message of the kingdom and many such things, and, and He begins to reveal what God is like, what God is really like to them, and becomes their shepherd and leads them like they so desperately need. And this, this compassion that Jesus expresses, it isn't just bottled up inside of Him and nobody really knows what Jesus is thinking or feeling or, or, or the way that he feels about, about these people, his disciples can see this compassion that's being poured out of the heart of Jesus. His disciples who are, who are around him at this point, they can see his demeanor change when he is with the people. They can see how he sacrifices his rest time for the good of the people. They can see how he puts his heart and his soul into this ministry for the people so that they may have a shepherd to lead them and guide them and reveal the heart of God to them. So the disciples, they can see all this. They can see this. This isn't, Jesus doesn't keep his compassion bottled up inside. The disciples know what Jesus is all about. The disciples can see him and his disposition toward these people. They know that this is a man that is bustling with compassion for these people. But notice how they respond to a problem that's presented to us next in the text. Look with me in verse 35 of Mark 6, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, it very well could be that the disciples might have been trying to mimic the compassion of Jesus uh, in this instance. I, I think that's probably the case. Uh, they could see the compassion of Jesus. They're trying to be like Jesus. They're his they, uh, he is their master, and they are his followers. Um, they're trying to be like him, so uh, very likely they're trying to be like Jesus. They're, they're, they're recognizing that it's getting late, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and these people need food. 
They need to be, uh, they need to be fed. And it's the, they're just, the, the disciples didn't want these people to go hungry, so they suggest to Jesus, uh, probably out of a heart of compassion for them, uh, that they be sent away and um, might buy food uh, for, uh, for themselves and, and, and get something to eat. But Jesus, what he does here, uh, he gives them another test. He tested them once when he sent them out, but here we see another test, a test in trust that Jesus gives to them like he did previously. Look with me in verse 37. But he answered them. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? And give it to them to eat? Now, at first glance, this, that might seem like a logical question in response to Jesus' command here. How in the world, how in the world are the disciples, mere human beings, supposed to feed these people? that number well over 5,000 in their entirety. The 200 denarii, uh, as is revealed within the text, it would be the equivalent of about eight months uh, of a man's wages, roundabout. And that still wouldn't be enough, most commentators say, to feed that, uh, that large number of people. Like, this is going to take, this is a massive undertaking that Jesus is telling them to do. And the, the, the response of the disciples are, uh, Jesus, <laughs> how in the world are we supposed to do that? It seems like an extremely audacious command, something that they have no ability to do whatsoever, and a very logical question something that we very well might ask, until you remember all that the disciples have seen from this Jesus and have accomplished through him so far. Jesus sent them out. Jesus gave them authority to heal, to cast out demons, to preach. And they saw all of this stuff. And now they question if this can be done or they don't think that Jesus could do that. Look in verse 38 of Mark 6. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Wow. <laughs> now, you don't really see the significance of this story and what Mark is really trying to get at until the next story. So let's go ahead and go there. Story number three in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Let's look at verses 45 through 52. This is what happens immediately after that incident. Verse 45. Immediately, Mark loves that word, immediately, 
he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when even evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Again, as we saw previously in the um, feeding of the 5,000, again, Jesus does the impossible. He walks on water. No one can walk on water, but Jesus does. He shows his mighty divine power that he has from God. He can, trans, uh, he, 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 he can transcend natural laws, laws of nature, and perform miraculous supernatural acts such as walking on liquid in which no one has accomplished in that way. And he causes, he also he causes the violent wind to cease here. And the text says that the disciples, when they see this, they're utterly astounded. They're astonished. They marvel. They're amazed. Wouldn't you be? <laughs> You see a man walking on water? I know I wouldn't be. But remember what happened previously, because I believe all these stories are connected and they're teaching us something. Remember what happened previously when Jesus was in Nazareth in the first six verses of Mark chapter 6. Remember how he revealed himself to the people there. And the people had a very similar reaction that uh, the disciples had upon seeing Jesus walk, and walk on the water and, and being put in the boat and, uh, and, and causing the wind to cease. Uh, remember that the people of Nazareth, when they saw this Jesus and his, and his mighty works and his divine authority and his wisdom, what does the text say? The text says that they were astonished. They were astonished at this man Jesus, at his power and his authority. But the people of Nazareth, remember, as we talked about last week, their astonishment, it didn't lead to faith. It led to contempt. They were offended at him. And now what we see towards the end of the sixth chapter, we see Jesus' own disciples we see the same pattern being played out that we saw began, be, uh, that, that was begun at the beginning of chapter 6. We see Jesus' own disciples, those closest to him, 
displaying the same kind of pattern, astonishment, amazement. They marvel at who this Jesus is, but an astonishment that doesn't lead to full trust. What does it lead to? It leads to a hardened heart. After all that, after, after all that, after Jesus sending them out two by two, giving them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the good news, after Jesus seeing, uh, after them seeing Jesus heal, uh, or rather um, feed miraculously over well over 5,000 people, and after uh, them seeing Jesus walk on water and, um, and calm a storm, they still don't get it. It's still fuzzy. It's still hazy. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who he is still. Now, in all of these stories, Jesus, he reveals to the disciples. We see all of these three themes that I've been saying over and over and over again uh, this, past, this past series. Uh, power, authority, and compassion. We see all of those themes within these stories. Jesus reveals to his disciples his authority, the, the authority that he has from God. And he gives them a taste of that authority as he, when he sends them out to preach and to heal and to cast out demons. Jesus reveals to them his compassion in feeding the 5,000, his disposition toward weak and helpless people who have no shepherd and who have no guide, who are ill-treated and, and mistreated. Jesus shows them his heart in that way. And likewise, Jesus reveals to them his power, the power to walk on water, the power to control the forces of nature, to defy nature and walk on water. But just like, very similar to the people of Nazareth, his own disciples, those closest to him, see him and allow this power that we talked about last time, this power of unbelief to loom over their hearts. The question, is there any hope? Is there any hope for mankind? Is the heart of man so black and so dark and so blind that when it sees this Jesus in all of his beauty, it sees this power, authority, and compassion, it still, still persists in this kind of unbelief and looks to him and say, I can't trust you. I can't trust who you are. Is there any hope? And sometimes we feel that way, don't we? When we look in this world and we say, look at the heart of humanity that we see displayed over and over and over and over again, a heart that's so far from God, a God that has revealed His loving kindness through nature, through Scripture, through the heart of Jesus Christ. But we see persist constant, we see constant unbelief. Is there any hope? Is there any hope for the human heart that's so blind, that's so dark, that's so black? But what I think the lesson is here, the lesson is that, notice this Jesus again, he doesn't abandon his disciples. 
uh, amidst their failure to uh, believe when his followers fail, he remains, he stays with them amidst the power of unbelief. And as we go through these stories, we're getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus' ultimate objective, to die for the sins of humanity so that their eyes might be opened and that they may receive this new heart with new desires and a new set of spiritual eyes in which they will be able to see him clearly and respond to him positively in complete faith and obedience. What we see in this Jesus is a Jesus that is so very patient. He's patient. A primary attribute of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. He's patient even when his people display this kind of unbelief. His, this, those that are closest, most closest to him, he's faithful. He stays with them, and he directs his power and his authority and his compassion all the while toward that ultimate objective, toward restoring the human heart so that they may see clearly, so that they may have spiritual eyesight to see him for all that he is and to surrender to him with all of their heart. So, What's the blessing tonight? What can we take away from all of that? Unbelief is powerful. It's very powerful, as we talked about last time. But the power of Jesus Christ far exceeds the power of unbelief inside of the human heart. He works. His work is so that people may see him in all of his glory and all of his beauty. And he's continuing that work today. Maybe, maybe tonight, maybe you've been close to this Jesus like the disciples have been. Maybe you are in relationship, but you, uh, relationship with him, but you've allowed this kind of unbelief to remain in your heart to, that, uh, that, that blinds you to the truth, that makes silly excuses, that produces apathy and smothers the supernatural working of God in your life. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you tonight. The invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ is for you. He's revealing himself to you. He's working for you, see him, submit to him, repent, respond to him in repentance, and he will renew you and restore you and be your shepherd and guide you tenderly like his little sheep. Tonight, if you have any need, the invitation is extended to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, uh, you have an opportunity to see him for all that he is, see his sacrifice, see his resurrection, see what he's, he has done for humanity and continues to do. Believe in him. Do a 180 in your life. Repent of your sins. You can come forward and confess faith and be immersed in the waters of baptism and begin a relationship with him. Tonight, if you have any need, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.